0: It's a new day
1: Hear his word us pray the morning show. And to start your
2: day.
3: We begin on this Monday, the 18th of September by praying together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God of our salvation. You have brought all things into being. We, your creatures, pray your blessings upon us. You have made us in your image and redeemed us in your love. We, your children, pray your blessings upon us. You have destined us for everlasting life in your presence. We, your people, pray your blessings upon us. O God, the giver of all good gifts, our desire to praise you is itself a blessing you have bestowed upon us. We can offer you nothing that you do not already have, Accept our love, which we render to you in worship and in service to all whom you redeem in Jesus Christ. Grant us glad gratitude in Him, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lachman at the controls. And up this hour... We do what we do first thing every week, which is talk to Kevin Schmeezing and uh, get a look at this week in Catholic history. A couple of more fascinating ones this week from Kevin. I don't know where he finds all this stuff. I mean, I know he finds them in the annals of history, but he finds some cool stories. Father Philip Lowe joins us from Humanity 2.0. More thoughts on AI, virtual reality, technological development, and the Catholic faith. And then Father John Gavin along as well. He'll discuss... The Church as a Bride, what St. Augustine had to say about that and how he's quoted in the Catechism. We'll also check in with Father Patrick Briscoe this morning from Our Sunday Visitor. So, do stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news.
1: Good morning. The United Auto Workers' strike against the big three U.S. automakers has reached a fourth day now. Reports say the union met with Ford and GM over the weekend while a meeting with Stellantis is scheduled for today. UAW President Sean Fain told MSNBC yesterday that progress has been slow. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. They're demanding better pay and pension benefits. In Washington, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says, "Quote: Good progress is being made in talks to avoid a government shutdown." Speaking on Fox News Sunday, McCarthy said that Republicans wanted to change Washington when they took the majority and that he's never seen anyone, quote, win a shutdown. McCarthy faces challenges in passing a stopgap funding bill as it appears he lacks the votes to keep the government open beyond September 30th. McCarthy added the only way to cut spending is to pass bills which allow the government to keep running, which he said are the most conservative bills going forward. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful for prayers for his upcoming visit later this week to Marseille, France. From Vatican Radio, Deborah castellano Lubov reports.
4: As Pope Francis recalled his imminent apostolic visit to Marseille, France this coming Friday, the Pope offered his closeness to the war-torn people of Ukraine and to all people in lands of war. Pope Francis will make the two-day visit to the southern French city of Marseille this Friday and Saturday to close the so-called Mediterranean meetings, which is gathering bishops and young people from across the Mediterranean from the 17th of September to the 24th.
5: Benedict,
4: the Holy Father had praised the upcoming visit as an opportunity to promote fraternity through these meetings, which will gather representatives from that region. The Pope called the upcoming meetings a beautiful initiative, noting it winds its way through important Mediterranean cities, bringing together ecclesial and civil leaders to promote paths of peace, collaboration, and integration around the Mare Nostrum with special attention to the phenomenon of migration. It represents, the Holy Father highlighted, a challenge that is not easy, as we see also from the chronicles of these days, but which we must face together. This, he insisted, is essential for the future of all, which will only be prosperous, he noted, if it is built on fraternity, putting human dignity and concrete people first, especially the most needy. He said he already greets all the inhabitants and says he looks forward to meeting so many dear brothers and sisters. The Pope greeted various groups present at the Angelus, and in a special way, he greeted the missionary sisters of the Most Holy Redeemer of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. The Holy Father went on to recall the battered people of Ukraine, and once again called for peace in the country being devastated by war, and for all countries with wars. I'm
1: Deborah Castellano-Lubov. During his Angelus Address catechesis, the Holy Father preached a message of forgiveness, The Pope told the faithful to think of someone who has hurt them and to ask God for the strength to forgive that person. He said that forgiveness can heal the poisons of resentment and restore peace to our hearts. He said forgiving is not a good deed that we can choose to do or not do, but a fundamental condition for those who are Christians. President Biden is in New York as a busy week lies ahead for him. He's scheduled to address the United Nations General Assembly tomorrow. Meetings with several world leaders like Brazilian President Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu are also on the docket this week. The president will then host Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at the White House on Thursday comes as the administration is pushing Congress for more funding for the country's fight against Russia. Zelensky is also expected to hold meetings with lawmakers on Capitol Hill. The military is looking for a missing fighter. A Marine Corps pilot ejected from an F-35B Lightning after a mishap on Sunday and landed safely in North Charleston, South Carolina. The plane, however, is nowhere to be found. Officials are looking in the area of north of Joint Base Charleston near Lake Moultrie and Lake Marion. The base is asking anyone who has information on the possible location of the 100 million dollar aircraft to give them a call. And the Dolphins capped off a busy NFL Sunday with a primetime win in New England. They defeated the Patriots 24 to 17 in Sunday Night Football. In other action, Josh Allen and the Bills Rolled to a thirty eight to ten win over the Las Vegas Raiders in Orchard Park. The New York Giants erased a twenty point halftime deficit to stun the Arizona Cardinals thirty one to twenty eight. Patrick Mahomes and the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs earned their first win of the season after taking down the Jacksonville Jaguars seventeen to nine on the road.
3: You said it right, Annamingel. I did it for you. I guess you should say it wrong on purpose in a way that it's clear that you're Avoiding the other way that you say it wrong, like the Jacksonville Jaguars.
1: I say jaguars.
3: You say jaguars.
1: As if it is J A G W I R E S. Jag. Correct. Wires.
3: Well, but you know there are a lot of people out there who say you're in my team as though it were spelled B A N G L E
1: S. Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals. They watched bangles. the Commanders
3: yesterday. Uh, I saw the Commanders game. Um,
1: you didn't watch the Bengals against game. the Broncos. I hope that was you did.
3: That was a pretty wild one. There was, I actually saw, since this is Catholic radio, I actually saw a Hail Mary that worked. Ooh. Uh, Russell Wilson threw one and uh, it was batted around and his own man, a Bronco, caught it. And they had to get a two point conversion to tie it up. And there was what looked to me like a clear case of pass interference. But it wasn't called, so they didn't get the mm. two-point conversion. Commanders pulled it out. So Ooh. there you go. Wow. No overtime.
1: You didn't watch your Ravens?
3: My Ravens. <laughs> Anna Mitchell, delete your account. <laughs> it is eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Kevin Schmizing. He's the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. So our first piece of Catholic history this week, we celebrate the anniversary of a founding of a university. Well, actually, not just the university in Mexico, but the University of Mexico.
6: Yeah, that's right. I guess you could say our theme this week is New Spain. Both of our pieces are from that part of the world. Um, the University of Mexico this week in 1551, Matt, it was one of the earliest universities in the New World, 85 years before Harvard. Uh, after the conquest of Hernando Cortes in 1521, the former capital of the Aztec Empire became the capital of New Spain and was renamed Mexico City. Colonization proceeded, but along with it, evangelization, and one dimension of that was education. Probably the very first educational institution in the Americas was a school for Indians founded by a Franciscan friar in the Mexico region, The Bishop of Mexico founded a colegio, which is roughly equivalent to our high school in Mexico City in 1534, and so soon there was need for an institution of higher learning. The governor of New Spain initiated the process, and on September 21st, this week in 1551, the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, issued a royal charter for the university. It was also approved by the Pope for theological studies, so its formal name was The royal and pontifical university of mexico it had chairs in theology scripture canon law civil law the arts and grammar it soon added medicine and native languages for some 300 years it was the premier university of northern new spain it ran into some trouble after mexican independence as the forces of secularization swept across mexico it was closed finally in 1865. The top university in Mexico today is the National Autonomous University of Mexico, founded as a secular university in 1910, but it's sometimes considered the successor to the original University of Mexico, which had its start this week in 1551.
3: Well, there are probably a lot of institutions of higher learning in the United States of America who think they have prestigious and ancient foundings, and they hear 1551— (laughs) <laughs> and are a little taken aback, uh but let's talk about the first seminarians from the California missions, and uh what we can celebrate from them this week.
6: Yeah, it was this week in eighteen thirty four and a quick tip of the hat here to my fellow historian Christian Clifford. He came across my Catholic pilgrimage book a while back. He contacted me out of the blue and alerted me to this dimension of the story of the California missions which I had been totally unaware of up to that point. Matt, you and I have talked many times about the missions, this chain of outposts founded by the Franciscans initially under the leadership of St. Junipero Serra. The 18th of the 21 missions was San Luis Rey, which is today in the city of Oceanside in Southern California. It was there that Pablo ToC was born in 1822. His mother and father were both native Californians who had converted to Catholicism. So Pablo was baptized as an infant he and another native boy, Agapito Amamex, also born of convert parents, showed considerable intellectual and spiritual promise, so in 1834, a friar from Mission San Luis, Father Antonio Perry, took the two with him to travel to Rome for seminary training. Pablo Tac was 12 years old when he and Agapito enrolled at the College of the Propaganda Fide, today the Pontifical Urban University, as the first native California seminarians. It was this week, September 23, 1834. Among their professors was the hyperpolyglot Cardinal Giuseppe Mezzofonte. We covered him, Matt, a few years ago, so some listeners might remember that. Mezzofonte was fluent in about 40 languages and had knowledge of many others. In his position at the church's Mission University, you might say he kind of collected languages, so he made a study of these Californians' native tongue. For his part, by his fourth year, Pablo was proficient in Latin, and he wrote an ethnographic account of California's native peoples. We still have it. It's titled De Californian Unfortunately, neither Agapito nor Pablo would be the first native Californian priest because Agapito died in Italy in 1837, presumably of disease of some kind. We don't really know. Pablo died of tuberculosis in Rome in 1841, so he was not quite 20 years old. It wasn't until 1977 that a man of native California blood would become a priest, a descendant of Mission San Jose Indians ordained for the Diocese of Oakland. But the first seminarians from the California missions went to Rome this week in 1834.
3: Well, that is absolutely fascinating. On so many, I have so many questions. I wish this segment was a whole lot longer. Uh, but you've also reminded me in this that there are probably a whole bunch of listeners out there who know some really interesting tidbits from their local dioceses and the history of the places they're listening from. Uh, that uh, I'm sure they'd want to get in touch with you to share. So if they want to get in touch with you, Kevin, maybe find a copy of your book. Is there a good way to do so?
6: Uh, Sure. You can find it anywhere, Amazon or any uh, online bookseller, and a lot of
3: Catholic bookstores sell it also. And you can always find Kevin through the Sunrise Morning Show website, sunrisemorningshow.com. Kevin, thank you as always. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. You too. All right, let's check on weather for the nation. A cold front moving across the eastern U.S. will depart around midday. Showers and thunderstorms that are part of that will dissipate by the afternoon, except in the northeast, where showers and possible thunderstorms will continue throughout the day. Widespread sea breeze storms possible along the Gulf Coast, especially in Florida. In the southern plains, scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible from New Mexico to Texas. Some strong storms could form. The Pacific Northwest could see some periodic rain showers today but dry and stable weather expected across the southwest, the northern plains, and lower Mississippi and Tennessee valleys. We're back with headlines right after this. It's a quarter past the hour.
7: We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kowarski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, Free ultrasound and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists, it really does. And Pro Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at prolifeacrossamerica.org.
8: Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small.
3: You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well.
1: That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com.
3: You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning.
1: And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes.
3: Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September
1: 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. What's stopping you
5: from becoming a
8: Catholic? Why can't women become priests? I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How
5: is it possible that God created everything? Why do I need to confess my sins to
8: a why priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to wreck? Catholic Church is too rich. Catholics
6: worship Mary and our community. As far as
0: I'm concerned,
4: all religions
0: are equal. You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern on the EWTN
1: Global Catholic Radio Network.
3: 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines.
1: The United Auto Workers strike against the big three U.S. automakers is now reaching a fourth day. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful for prayers for an upcoming visit later this week to Marseille, France. And during his catechesis, the Holy Father preached a message of forgiveness.
3: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. So, Anna Mitchell, I uh, had a question for you. Oh, okay. And we've, we've talked about this in various forms before, but I was curious for you, mm-hmm. specifically, what would be a prayer or song that is so beloved to you that you've committed it entirely to memory, um, but yeah. that you have completely blanked on when trying to lead a group of people in it? Because <laughs> I have a theory, at least in my circles, as to what the number one prayer is in regard to that, because... Uh, it happened again over the weekend that someone opened up a meeting with it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then and, they forgot. Uh,
3: I know like six or seven people that I've seen do this. And this is actually a, one of the reasons. I've seen it happen so many times that I'm afraid to use this particular prayer in Oh, how in interesting.
1: Public. Okay. The one time that I have completely blanked on a prayer that I have memorized— was actually here on the morning show during our local hour because you usually open the program for us with prayer usually unless i'm traveling or something if you're traveling like you will be this week i will be opening our local hour with prayer and i did the canticle of zechariah oh and somewhere in the midst of it i completely lost my train of thought and didn't have it in front of me so I just kind of laughed, said I forgot the rest of the prayer, and moved on to a glory bee. I'm trying to think. My most beloved prayer is um, actually the divine praises. But okay. I don't think that I've ever lost track of a tough one to attempt
3: it. in public without yeah. a script because
1: – Well, you know what I, You know where I get tripped You might up. get
3: Mary's attributes out of
1: order. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just go in, in chronological order. Immaculate Conception, Glorious assumption. assumption. But um and then blessed be and the name just, of Mary.
3: And then okay blessed so Saint that's Saint the one I forget G's because G's I spouse. skip through blessed be the name of Mary most holy and I go straight to blessed be St Joseph for most cherished oh, spouse. Well,
1: you know, that's all right. The um
3: I feel like the Holy Family understands.
1: Yeah, I think so. But where I get tripped up with the divine praises is during adoration when the priest decides to do says, blessed be God. And then the congregation says, blessed be God. And I'm like moving through the whole thing because I've – it was a prayer that Will and I had kind of made our our, like official prayer for us as a couple kind of thing. Sure. It's um, actually inscribed the second – the first line of it, blessed be God, is inscribed in Will's wedding ring. And then blessed be his holy name is inscribed in mine.
3: Well, what do you know? I did not know this. Well – So I got two. Okay. One's for fun because I was leading a rosary over the weekend, and I uh, accidentally did the Apostlesian Creed. (laughs) This is the problem where you start the Apostles' Creed, and then you like mix in pieces of the Nicene Creed. You're like, oh, doggone it.
1: I get this screwed up at mass all the time. But the one,
3: the number one that I see a lot of people try, and then two lines in, like a wave of panic washes over their faces, the come Holy Spirit prayer. Oh, yes. So there you go. It's 21 past Click the Mystic Monk link at SunriseMorningShow.com.
1: That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com.
3: You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well.
1: That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at SunriseMorningShow.com.
3: You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning.
1: And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes.
3: Spoiler alert. She does. Sunrise goes to video,
9: September
1: 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com.
9: Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood. The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen.
3: The Sunrise Morning Show continues. We are glad that you're here with us as we plow through the month of September. Hard to believe we're already halfway through the month, more than halfway through the month. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip Leray, and uh, he is with Humanity 2.0. You can find them online at humanity2-0.org. We talk about artificial intelligence and the Catholic faith. I'm really excited. I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a while, but Magisterium AI is a tool that is out there now. And Father Leray, I wonder if you could tell us what Magisterium AI is and how it works.
0: This is an application based on a artificial intelligence motor which is similar to OpenAI's ChatGPT. chat gpt now the difference is that it has been taught on official documents of the church i think uh, matthew sanders who's the founder of, of magisterium ai has uh, and his team they've inserted roughly 4,000 official documents of the church uh, the most recent one was the denzinger edition which is the official uh, uh writing of all of the councils of the church uh, and <clears throat> so when you ask it a question, if you've ever used ChatGBT, you ask a question it answers, you're only going to get the authentic answer from the Catholic Church. and I think that's one of the greatest advantages of this artificial intelligence. It won't make things up, those are called hallucinations in uh, the jargon. Uh, it won't it won't uh, give you false news. Uh, and it won't give you wrong answers it will because it, it has to reference the answers that it gives you uh, I, let me just give you an example if you Matt you you would say uh, explain the law of, of, of celibacy for priests in the Catholic Church and then it's just going to go through all the history of the church and, and tell you about that theme and it's going to uh, reference it through uh, with documents in the in the church So this is a, a tool which is really, taking the Catholic world by storm. A lot of uh, scholars are using it. Uh, I know that, that Matthew is in contact with several universities to partner, for example, the Catholic University of America. The Canon Law Society of America is also uh, very interested in, in uh, using this on a large scale. Uh, because just imagine, you, know, you have the Code of Canon Law, and then you have all kinds of other resources uh, that that's going to help you as a Canada lawyer. Uh, what, one of the issues that they're very careful about is copyright. And uh, if you've read the news recently, uh, Sam Altman is having a little difficulty. Well, it's actually a major difficulty because he's being sued uh, by authors that he has used to train his artificial intelligence. And so there's the, the really not a very clear law on this yet, so that's why it's uh, murky waters. Uh, but Matthew Sanders, in terms of magisterium AI, is only using material which is not copyrighted. He's, he's, asked, he's very, very sensitive to that. And there may be a way in which he can uh, use other material down the line by getting permission or by paying royalties or something like that. Uh, but right now, all of the information that is used by the AI is not copyrighted and therefore is uh is for the public, is the general public domain.
3: Well, it is a, a pretty fascinating resource. I tried it out the other day because there'd been a question that had come up in in my world. And so I just said, you know, how do I choose a Godparent? I just typed it in and uh. I got like a six paragraph response and it was all footnoted in reference and some of those places were places I expected to see referenced. Uh, you know, the catechism and some other things, but I saw all these other footnotes, footnotes to like uh, a homily that Pope Benedict gave on the baptism of the Lord. I was like, oh, well, this is yeah, helpful. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought to look there, and and there's some other things like that. You know, there's an interesting aspect of this too, is that some people are like, oh, well, this will, this will replace you know me explaining my faith to my friend, and and my first, you know, response to that is, well, not really. Because I then took what I learned from what I put in Magisterium AI, and then knowing the person's situation, I said, Well, in your particular situation, knowing the people that you know and the, you know, whatever, I I then had to still apply it in a very human way. Um, And I think that that's going to still be the case no matter what you're able to enter into the GPT. Exactly.
0: And, you know, some people are saying that priests are using this to, to do homilies. I'm like, Great. I mean, it can can only get improved, you know? Uh, So and and we've had this conversation before. I really don't think that AI is going to replace everything. I think it's going to help us. It's it's going to help us achieve our goals. Just like you said, Uh, you still need, uh, you know, interpersonal connectivity. You still need to apply it to situations, uh, but it's a tool. It's a tool that can help us. And the, uh, I told Sam Altman, I said, you know, you should, you should be supportive of this because it's a way to uh, use the the motor that you've created in a a great way. It has only an upside. There's no downside to it.
3: Well, you know, we should do a whole segment on that whole homily question down the road because there's going to be probably a, a range of how people feel about that thing. But I will say this. Uh, i 've heard a lot of homilies where people have gone and copied and pasted paragraphs from various things into their homily, but they are not church teachings they're uh jokes they heard on the internet right or stories that they got from somewhere else uh so there are a lot of priests who are already doing this kind of thing, but maybe not with magisterial documents, you know just trying to find a good funnier illustration to kick off a homily so i uh, I would hope that this does have that kind of i mean you're 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 a pastor you've got a difficult passage to preach on this weekend and you know, rather than make it up off the top of your head, it sure would be nice to say, I wonder what Pope Benedict has said about this. You know, I wonder exactly. what you know, some of these other great thinkers in the life of the church have said about this. So if our listeners but, want to try this out, maybe throw in some questions and see how it works, how do they do so? Go
0: quickly? for it. Go for it. It's, uh, it's being used in over 125 countries, and the numbers keep growing. So uh, it's catching on.
3: And we've got the link to it. Uh, I'm actually going to put it... Um, I'll put a direct link on our show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got Father Philip LeRae linked there as well. Thank you so much, Father. Have a wonderful day. Okay. God bless, Matt. Half past the hour. Here's Anna with news.
1: Good morning. The United Auto Workers strike against the big three U.S. automakers has reached a fourth day now. Reports say the union met with Ford and GM over the weekend while a meeting with Stellantis is scheduled for today. UAW President Sean Fain told MSNBC yesterday that progress has been slow. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri, demanding better pay and pension benefits. Meanwhile, Ford has laid off 600 employees at its assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan, as the UAW strike continues. Michael Kastner reports.
10: The automaker announced the layoffs on Friday. Meanwhile, General Motors will idle its Fairfax assembly plant in Kansas, putting 2,000 people out of work. The strike at the Wenzel, Missouri assembly plant is being blamed for the move. UAW President Sean Fain says the automaker's laying off people who are not on strike is putting the squeeze on the union to settle for less. I'm Michael Kastner.
1: House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says good progress is being made in talks to avoid a government shutdown. Speaking on Fox News Sunday, McCarthy said Republicans wanted to change Washington when they took the majority and that he's never seen anyone win a shutdown. McCarthy faces challenges in passing a stopgap funding bill, though, as it appears he lacks the votes to keep the government open beyond September 30th. McCarthy added the only way to cut spending is to pass bills which allow the government to keep running, which he said are the most conservative bills going forward. Pope Francis has asked for prayers for his upcoming trip to Marseille, France. The Holy Father will travel there at the end of the week to help close out the Mediterranean meetings with bishops and young people in the region. He called it an opportunity to promote fraternity through the meetings which will gather representatives from all over the Mediterranean region. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father reflected on the Sunday Gospel in his catechesis, stressing the importance of forgiveness. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports.
4: The Pope explained that the number seven in the Bible is a number that indicates completeness, and therefore Peter, he said, was very generous in the assumptions of his question. But Jesus, Pope Francis observes, goes further and answers him, I do not say to you up to seven, but up to 77. Jesus tells him, the Pope recalled, that when you forgive, do not calculate. It is good to forgive everything and always, he said. God, Pope Francis continued, has done this with us. Likewise, he noted, those who administer God's forgiveness are called to do the same, namely, to forgive always.
5: Perdonare sempre.
4: Jesus's message, the Pope continued, is clear. God forgives incalculably, exceeding all measure. God acts out of love and gratuitousness, the Pope said, observing we cannot repay him. Forgiveness is therefore not a good deed that one can do or not do. The Pope said that this constitutes a fundamental condition for those who are Christians, noting God has given his life for us and in no way can we compensate for his mercy. However, by corresponding to his gratuitousness, that is by forgiving one another, the Pope said, we can bear witness to him, sowing new life around us for outside of forgiveness, he said, there is no hope. Outside of forgiveness, he said, there is no peace. Forgiveness, the Holy Father argued, is the oxygen that purifies the air polluted by hatred. It is the antidote that heals the poisons of resentment, and it is the way to diffuse anger and heal so many diseases of the heart that contaminate society. Let us try now, each one of us, he said, to think of a person who has hurt us, and let us ask the Lord for the strength to forgive them, and let us forgive them out of love for the Lord. The Pope said it will do us good. It will restore peace in our hearts. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov.
1: The United Nations says the death toll from flooding in northeastern Libya is now up to at least 11,300, and another 10,000 people continue to be missing In just in the devastated city of Derna. Rescuers are clawing through debris in the city on the Mediterranean coast, trying to find survivors in buildings torn apart. About- Torn apart by last week's unprecedented flooding historic rainfall last sunday and monday caused two dams to break unleashing millions of cubic meters of flood water through the city that's the news you're listening to the sunrise morning show on the ewtn global catholic radio network it's 35 minutes past the
3: You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well.
1: That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com.
3: You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning.
1: And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes.
3: Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise Goes to Video, September
1: 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com.
11: This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the US and around the globe. Who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations to get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah at sacredheartradio.com.
2: This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. How unfortunate are those who fall from the tops of high mountains. When they fall from these heights, the poor creatures roll and roll without stopping, right to the bottom of the precipice. The same thing happens to those who fall spiritually because they do not persevere in the service of God. It is a strange thing. After a good beginning and perhaps persevering for thirty or forty years in the service of God, just as they reach old age, when it is time to harvest the fruits of their labors, they tumble into the abyss of sin. How inscrutable are the divine judgments! No one must presume on his own ability to persevere or rely on his own goods, as if he had nothing to fear. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong.
1: It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Feast of St. Joseph of Cupertino, a patron of students because he wanted to be a priest and he wasn't a very great student. So he prayed that the bishop would only ask him questions that he knew. And that's what happened. So if you got a test today, you did some studying. Pray through the intercession of St. Joseph of Cupertino. Father John Gavin joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Good morning. So we are heading to Catechism paragraph 796 today as we continue looking at Church Fathers quoted in the Catechism. And we have a a quote from St. Augustine today. Now, to kind of set this up, last time we talked about Christ and His Church, and how they make mm-hmm. up the whole Christ. You've got Christ as the mm-hmm. head, and the Church as the body. So today we're kind of unpacking that a little further, I suppose. Is that how you would describe what we're we're going to be discussing today?
12: Sure. So I've, uh, we're going from the image of Christ as the head and the Church as the body to another very important image that expresses this, that namely... Uh, uh, Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. So again expressing this this intimate union and yet at the same time a distinction between Christ and each and every member.
1: Yeah, and this is a rather lengthy paragraph in the catechism. Mm. So we are going I'm just going to read the St Augustine quote and and go sure. from there. So this is what St Augustine writes. This is the whole Christ, head and body, one one formed from many whether the head or members speak it is christ who speaks he speaks in his role as the head and in his role as the body what does this mean the two will become one flesh this is a great mystery and i am applying it to christ and the church and the lord himself says in the gospel so they are no longer two but one flesh they are, in fact, two different persons, yet they are one in the conjugal union. As head, he calls himself the bridegroom. As body, he calls himself bride. Now, first of all, Father, where does, uh, where does this quote from St. Augustine come from?
12: So this quote comes from the Eneraciones in Salmos, that is, it's a collection of sermons that Augustine gave on all 150 psalms, uh, in some cases more than once on a particular psalm, and this comes from the a sermon on Psalm 74 or 75, depending on which uh, num- uh, numbers you're following. And it's uh, on, it's right at the beginning of the sermon, where we hear in the psalm, uh, we praise you, O God, we praise you. We call on your name and recount your wondrous deeds. And so he's looking at the psalm and applying what you were just talking about earlier, this uh, all is Christ, totus Christus. And Augustine has this wonderful way of interpreting the psalms using this principle, all is Christ, totus Christus, by saying that when we read the psalms, uh, it is always Christ speaking, Uh, Either he is speaking in his own voice, or he is speaking uh, or giving us uh, the words to pray with. That is, he's speaking as a member. And so, at the same time, in interpreting a psalm, Augustine would say, using this marriage image, uh, Christ is both speaking as himself, as God but also speaking as a member of, as, of the Church. And mm. so it's, he says it's amazing. He, he has this line right after what the quote you read, Christ is preaching himself. He is preaching even now in his existing members. So it kind wow. of opens up a whole different way of reading the Psalms.
1: I was going to ask, I mean, this is not uh, St. Augustine getting pronouns confused here. I <laughs> I had to read <laughs> the quote a couple of times because he right. talks about himself the bride. And that sounds right. so foreign to us, and yet so true when you look at it through the eyes of, of St. Paul, who he whom he quotes in this here.
12: Exactly. It, so again, we, when we take that image, of course, on the one hand, we look at it and we say, okay, Christ is the bridegroom, the Church as the bride, and made up of all the different members. But remembering, again, as Augustine shows here, that Christ, as both God and man, uh, is actually able to do both, right? He is both the bride, but also, as man, he is among the members. And so the union that we see affected here in this uh, bride-bridegroom image actually comes together in Christ. All is Christ, totus Christus.
1: So what does this mean? For us, Father? Like, why is this important for us to understand?
12: Well, I, I think, first of all, again, uh, this is uh, another image that shows us that intimate union between Christ and the Church that Christ has won for us, right, in becoming man and, of course, dying for us and rising. So we're always conscious of this intimate union that we have with Him as the Church, Uh, Another thing I would say also in the way uh, what we see here, and obviously Paul and Augustine develops it, is the way that each and and every marriage, uh, bride and bridegroom, uh, and then family is uh, preaching this intimate union between Christ and the Church. And I think it's something important for every uh, married couple and every family to think about that they are, uh, by living out their faith together in that intimate union, uh, demonstrating to the Church, preaching to the Church again and again, the reality of our hope, our life in
1: this intimate union with Christ. That's such an important point. Father, I mean something that that I'm not sure that that we think about so often is how much our marriage, those of us who are married, how much that <clears throat> speaks to the world, the nature of Christ, um, or well. Or maybe not the nature of christ and 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 I think that that's the important mm-hmm. thing to remember here is, is that we are we are sending out a message about Christ, whether we realize it or not
12: absolutely and uh, and I think in many ways, when we look at sadly the kind of crisis in marriage in the world today or people just not even getting married again when that uh when that witness is lessened or lost, uh, it becomes a crisis in the very identity of the Church. People are not receiving that, uh, that important message, but more than that, not seeing that witness, and also not being formed in that witness so it's just uh, it's so important in the life of the
1: church. Well, speaking of that witness, um I remember having a conversation with my father-in-law once and he made the point that if Christian marriages aren't strong and faithful, then the world mm-hmm. will not believe that Christ laid down his life for the church for us. Mm.
12: That's that's a wonderful statement I, and I think it I think it very much comes through in what we we're, we're seeing in this uh in this passage here uh and you know of course uh you know we we have John Paul II I mean the church is I mean the family is is the domestic church it, it is where that uh that formation in love that points to Christ and that intimate union uh takes place first and foremost for us
1: no pressure right father
12: <laughs> <laughs> you have the grace of the sacrament and you have the grace of course of the eucharist as well so uh it's not you've got supernatural aid always
1: yeah he has not left us alone that is for sure no that is for no. sure we've been talking to father john gavin and you can find his book mysteries of the lord's prayer linked at sunrise morningshow.com father really appreciate you unpacking this one for us thank you so much thank you for having me you bet all right it is a 14 till now on the sunrise morning show we're back with father patrick briscoe right after this
13: Support is from Solidarity HealthShare.
1: Do you have an insurance plan that pays for
4: everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs because the best news is that Solidarity Share costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time.
0: Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245.
3: Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming.
1: And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to SONRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission.
3: Support the Monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at SUNRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM.
1: That's SONRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM.
3: EWTN is available 24 hours a day, 7
6: days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
0: For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on television.
3: I'm spiritual, but do I have to be religious? Join me, Dr. David Anders, as we answer your questions on Call to Communion today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines.
1: United Auto Workers' strike against the big three U.S. automakers is now reaching a fourth day. Pope Francis has asked for prayers for his upcoming trip at the end of the week to Marseille, France, for the Mediterranean meetings. And during his Angelus Address catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father stressed that forgiveness is the cure that heals the poisons of resentment
3: news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show pretty convicting stuff from yesterday's first reading how can you you know nurse that grudge and then expect to be forgiven rough stuff convicting I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Patrick Briscoe from Our Sunday Visitor. You can find them online at OurSundayVisitor.com and a few other places. They've got OSV News and some other cool things. Father, good morning. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you wrote recently about the St. Michael Prayer, and it's a prayer beloved to many people, and uh, I figured that— uh, this would be a great opportunity for me to ask you: uh, Do you say "thrust into hell" or "cast into hell" uh, when it comes to uh, mm. that prayer?
8: Yeah, this is one of the great debates, right? I'm a I'm a cast into hell man.
3: I'm a cast into hell guy too.
8: Yeah, the uh, like, you know it's so funny some of these um, these translations that. Uh, that uh, didn't catch on in an official way, right, where there are those little variations. It It is a funny thing that you notice when you recite the prayer alongside someone.
3: It is indeed. You know, you can kind of watch people's lips moving. But the sentiment remains the same no matter which word you use there. Uh, the Saint Michael Prayer, uh, of course, it was written by Saint Leo Pope. I'm uh, not not Saint Leo, not yet. Yeah, Pope Leo the <laughs> Thirteenth. But if, if you could maybe give us a sense of of why he wrote it, when he wrote it, and what he recommended it for.
8: Yeah, I think what's very interesting is that, um, is that this prayer was ordered by Pope Leo the Thirteenth to be prayed alongside three Hail Marys and the Hail Holy Queen after Mass, and so. The part of the idea was that uh, the, the recitation of this prayer uh, by the church throughout the world uh, would be a powerful means of combating anti-clericalism, um, which was a, which was a powerful force in Italy at the time. And so Pope Leo XIII was worried about the temporal freedom, of uh, the sovereignty of of the Holy See. So he asked Catholics to marshal a. a Spiritual army against that threat. So, so the prayer was really, was really begun as a threat of secularism, a threat of worldliness, um, again a threat of anti-clericalism, threatening the independence of, of the Holy See.
3: Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. You know that it has to do with sort of this temporal question because so many of us, uh, when we lean on that Saint Michael prayers for something that feels like an entirely spiritual struggle <laughs> that we're going through at the time.
8: Right, and you see, that's what's so interesting, is that you see how Pope Leo understood them to be connected. And I think that the, the anti-clericalism thing is important, too, and because today we, we see so much of a struggle against the priesthood, right, the, the, moral, of the, the, the moral authority of the priesthood, um, completely undermined by the clerical sexual abuse scandal, uh, the ability for a priest to teach um, Catholic doctrine today, uh, again, threatened the idea of, of what a priest does as the one who leads worship, the priest leads the people in offering the son sacrifice to the Father. So so we have a number of challenges to the priesthood today, and I think understanding that, uh, that Pope Leo XIII ordered the praying of the prayer in part for the protection of the priesthood, I think that's an extremely meaningful thing, and I think I think that's something that's, that that we should continue to reflect on.
3: Well, it's certainly something that... Uh, I reflect on often because I happen to—I mean, I don't know if you know this—in my line of work, I, I actually know a lot of priests, and uh, I know a lot of them f- through more than just like their public-facing aspects of their ministry. I happen to know a bunch of them as friends, and guess what? Turns out they're like regular old people in a lot of ways, <laughs> right? In terms of the struggles and issues they face, but in some ways they're not like regular old people because. The devil hates them. I mean, he hates them. And if he hates them, think about how much he hates their bosses, the bishops. And if he hates the bishops, think about how much he hates their boss, the pope. I mean, if we're not praying this prayer, man, we're missing an opportunity to invoke the mighty power of God against our worst enemy.
8: Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And you know who saw that, Matt, was St. John Paul II. He saw that, and he said, you know, even though this prayer is no longer recited at the end of mass, I ask everyone not to forget it. I ask everyone not to forget it. And to obtain help, to recite it, that is, to obtain help in the battle against the forces of darkness and against the spirit of this world. And I think that's so incredible, because the prayer, the prayer helps, helps us, um, helps orient us against the battle that we're, tr- that we're truly facing, against, against the spiritual battle.
3: You know, it was an early favorite prayer in our family, too. And There's something that's sort of rousing about it, right? There's something that sort of, like, gets up your spirits a little bit and, and gives you kind of, like, a boost of of, of confidence and courage. Uh, you know, my son, who's, like, 11 now, this is one of the earliest prayers that he got excited about after Mass, uh, because if you're a if you're a kid, right, if you're, like, a six-year-old boy and you get to pray for St. Michael to kick Satan's butt, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I mean, who would— who doesn't have those struggles and want to see Satan put where he belongs?
8: That's right. Get the angel out there carrying the sword. Let's go, baby.
3: Yeah, indeed. Well, you know, you're a, you're a priest when we talk about this idea of praying this for our priests specifically. I mean, would you want to throw out maybe a couple of needs that people might not realize are in the life of priests that we can have in mind when we pray this prayer to St. Michael?
8: Absolutely. I mean, I think one is for, one is for the priest um, to be confident in his ministry, um, to be confident in his ministry. And I mean I mean that he would have the courage to say difficult things to his people, um, because uh, I think a lot of times people misunderstand what it's like for a priest to have to articulate a difficult teaching in the Church. It's extremely painful. Um, even, even when the priest knows that the truth will be a consolation, it's difficult if it's a difficult truth. Um, I think too, uh, for priestly fraternity, so many priests feel, feel alone, and even, even though they have other friends who are priests, and uh, some, some priests like, like me are lucky enough to religion, live in religious communities and um, sort of have a kind of strength of fraternity. But priestly loneliness, is a, is a huge challenge today. So, so I would say those two things: that a, that a priest might be able to preach with clarity to his people, even difficult teaching. And that a priest would, wouldn't would feel alone, that he would know that heaven's ministers are alongside him, supporting him in his work.
3: I also pray for energy, right? Because I know how many of my priest <laughs> friends are just tired. <laughs> They're just tired, uh, right?
8: We just, we just drink Mystic mug coffee for that. There
3: you go, lots and lots of coffee. Um, and uh, hopefully lots and lots of saying Michael prayers there, too. Father Patrick Briscoe, thank you as always. We've got our Sunday visitor linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Matt. God bless. Another full hour coming up here of the Sunrise Morning Show for many of you listening along. It's three minutes till.
1: Arise, it's
0: a new day. Hear his word.
3: On this Monday, September the 18th, let's begin with a prayer of St. Anselm of Canterbury in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Lord my God, teach my heart this day where and how to find you. You have made me and remade me, and you have bestowed on me all the good things I possess, and still I do not know you. I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you, for I cannot seek you unless you teach me, or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you, and let me love you when I find you. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here. Many of you listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and your various affiliates. Some of you listening on uh, apps and streams and the like. However you got here, we're glad you're with us. Uh, You're listening across America and uh, speaking of across America, this morning we're going to talk to Angie Johnson from Pro-Life Across America. You've heard their spots here. Maybe some of you have even helped them participate uh, and put up Uh, billboards, pro-life billboards in your area. Angie will talk about some of the ways you can uh, continue to do so and uh, help spread the joy of life in your community. Brendan Hodge is going to continue our series we've been doing with him on classical education. We'll talk about geography and science and how those two fit into the classical ed picture. Mike Aquilina will join us from FathersOfTheChurch.com. Also, Stephanie Mann with more stories of English martyrs. So do stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell.
1: Good morning. President Biden is sending a team to Detroit in an effort to help resolve the strike between the United Auto Workers Union and the big three automakers. The union went on strike last week, demanding better pay and benefits. White House advisor Gene Sperling and acting Labor Secretary Julie Sue are expected to help support talks early this week. The two sides reportedly remain far apart. That, according to AW President Sean Fain, who has said there has not been much progress in talks with the big three automakers during the ongoing strike. Speaking yesterday on MSNBC, Fain said that progress has been slow as the two sides do continue to meet. Meanwhile, nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike demanding better pay and pension benefits. President Biden, meanwhile, is in New York ahead of a busy week. He's scheduled to address the United Nations General Assembly tomorrow. Meetings with several world leaders, like Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, are also on the docket this week. The president will then host Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at the White House on Thursday. This coming as the administration is pushing for Congress for more funding for the country's fight against Russia. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked the faithful for prayers for his upcoming visit to Marseille, France. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano Lubov reports.
4: As Pope Francis recalled his imminent apostolic visit to Marseille, France, this coming Friday, the Pope offered his closeness to the war-torn people of Ukraine and to all people in lands of war. Pope Francis will make the two-day visit to the southern French city of Marseille this Friday and Saturday to close the so-called Mediterranean meetings, which is gathering bishops and young people from across the Mediterranean from the 17th of September to the 24th.
5: Venerdì mi Marsiglia.
4: Father had praised the upcoming visit as an opportunity to promote fraternity through these meetings, which will gather representatives from that region. The Pope called the upcoming meetings a beautiful initiative, noting it winds its way through important Mediterranean cities, bringing together ecclesial and civil leaders to promote paths of peace, collaboration, and integration around the mare nostrum with special attention to the phenomenon of migration. It represents, the Holy Father highlighted, a challenge that is not easy, as we see also from the chronicles of these days, but which we must face together. This he It is essential for the future of all, which will only be prosperous, he noted, if it is built on fraternity, putting human dignity and concrete people first, especially the most needy. He said he already greets all the inhabitants and says he looks forward to meeting so many dear brothers and sisters. The Pope greeted various groups present at the Angelus, and in a special way, he greeted the missionary sisters of the Most Holy Redeemer of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. The Holy Father went on to recall the battered people of Ukraine and once again called for peace in the country being devastated by war and for all countries with wars.
1: I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The military is searching for a missing fighter jet, a Marine Corps pilot ejected from an F-35 fighter jet after a mishap yesterday and landed safely in North Charleston, South Carolina. The plane, however, is nowhere to be found. Officials are looking in the area north of Joint Base Charleston near Lake Moultrie and Lake Marion. The base is asking anyone with information on the possible location of the $100 million aircraft to give them a call. And returning to the Pope's Angelus address yesterday, during his catechesis, the Holy Father preached a message of forgiveness. He told the faithful to think of someone who has hurt them and ask God for the strength to forgive that person. He said that forgiveness can heal the poisons of resentment and restore peace to our hearts. He said forgiving is not a good deed that we can choose to do or not do, but a fundamental condition for those are Christians.
3: It'd be interesting if that was the Pope's idea, except it's, it's, uh, Jesus. it's shot straight through the readings. Yeah. Right? From Sirach through Jesus Christ's own teaching yesterday at Mass. Can you? So, I mean, this that, isn't one of those optional ones.
1: Oh my gosh. Not And an it's one. What, what was it? Wrath and anger are things that the sinner holds tight,
3: mm-hmm.
1: hugs tight. I hugs, the language. I think, was the but, word. Yeah, I think it was hugs tight in the translation. I think, the I think translation. you want to hug. Can you... It's not a
3: uh, not a huggable concept, and yet we hug it. Yeah,
1: wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. You know, I was listening to um, a beautiful homily uh, by your friend and mine, uh, Father Jason Beadle, who had a, a parish visit for for our r- local radio station at one of his parishes, St. Luke. And uh, so good morning to anyone from St. Luke who's listening for the first time since uh, our little parish visit yesterday. But he was talking about, like, how do you know if you've forgiven someone? You know, That's like it's question. like because it's not it's not about forgetting the wrong that has been done to you. Right. And, and, and so it's it's kind of difficult to really determine because the pain is still there from whatever has been done. And he said, well, if you're able to pray for that person, then you're probably on the path toward forgiveness. If you're able to desire that person's spot in heaven, then you're probably on the path to forgiveness. If you still want that person to burn in hell, then, then maybe you got some work to do.
3: Case of, of not being forgiving,
1: right? So and you want to, I thought that that was really helpful.
3: That's a good metric. Yeah, it's a good metric. So I wish I had heard the homily. So yesterday we had the early mass, mm-hmm. and then in between we had RCIA, mm-hmm. and then we had the later mass. Uh, mm-hmm. The blessing for the Catechist was at the later mass. I normally go to the early one, but I came in at the tail end of the early one. I'm like, that voice sounds familiar. Who's celebrating the, the eight thirty mass around here? You know who it was? Who? Father John Trigilio. What? Of Open Line on EW. Father John
1: Trigilio was at was your like, well, parish on well, what Sunday. Do you know?
3: Wow! I was like, "Hey, Father, we've never met in person, but yeah, man,
1: was here cool. I thought I was." I wish great I could have caught his with homily Father. on this. Wish good. I was. A- That's pretty awesome.
3: Indeed. I'm kind of jealous. It's nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's great to catch up with Angie Johnson from Pro Life Across America. You can find them online at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Angie, good morning.
14: Good morning. Thanks for so, having me uh, on.
3: Yeah, and a lot of our listeners are familiar with your work uh, doing billboards and the spots that you run, but if you could give us a little overview, remind us what Pro-Life Across America is about and how you got involved with it.
14: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was started by my mom. She is the founder, and actually my dad, too. Um, In 1989, they started um, Pro-Life Minnesota here um, in Minnesota, and it was straight out of our home, so I grew up, you know, a part of the mission. (laughs) As a kid, we would... You know, help um, with anything my parents needed, and so it was very—it's very close, um, near and dear to my my heart. Given that it is to theirs, obviously. So, um, yeah, it started in 1989, and very quickly, um, just the first couple of billboards that were um, shown in Minnesota ended up reaching um, to people across several states um, in the United States, and so um, they changed the name to Pro Life Across America because we're now in 46 different states across the US. Um, and my mom is still very, very involved. She's our director, and so I work for her. Um, and I've helped to do um, placing of the billboards, designing the billboards, um, our website work, um, kind of more of the marketing side of things, but definitely in kind of her right, right hand, <laughs> um, helping to keep the mission going. So um, yeah, we we not only do billboards, but we also do radio ads, um, TV streaming, and we do a lot of web ads as well. So, um, who would have thought that in 1989, when um, they just put up one black and white billboard, that um, just you know, 30 some years later, they'd be doing about 14,000 billboards across the United States?
3: That's pretty incredible, and it shows kind of the the support that's come from uh, so many different areas of the country who want to put a positive encouraging uplifting life-affirming message out there and you know it really is pretty important to do that because you know we're heading up on a November and every year there's another issue whether it's a a major election or a minor election or just some issues on the ballot and the, the question gets so reduced to abstract political terms uh, but for most of us where the rubber hits the road we're not making a political decision when we say yes to life, right? We're making a a family-based decision. And, you know, I really appreciate the way that you try and keep that part of the conversation active and live because it gets so lost in so many of the debates and the heated arguments.
14: Yeah, absolutely. Our our mission is really um, to keep those messages positive, like you said, joyful. Um, Keep them joyful. And really, it was my mom and dad, you know, that was really what they kind of, set out to do from the beginning. We've had people ask us to show um, kind of more of the gruesome images, and we've really stuck to, stuck with our mis- mission to to not do that, to really be a conduit um, for those life-affirming clinics. So when a woman calls in or a man calls in and is asking for help, we're really the conduit to those life-affirming clinics. So we um, tip our hats to to those people working because um you know our billboards are across the US but our hotline number is on every single one of our ads and so when we answer that phone call um we use our you know uh we guide them and we um give them you know counseling and we send them off to those clinics and um it's great when we get those phone calls back to kind of say like i'm so glad you answered that phone because I, I was gonna. I was scheduled for an abortion, and now I um, I was able to see an ultrasound, and I was able to choose life. So that's really our, our mission is just to be a conduit to make sure that um, women, men, um, anyone needing help um, is able to get life affirming help at um, those those a clinic near them. Um, and it's going to be harder and harder going forward to do that, given what they're doing. Um, now to those clinics making it harder and harder to have those clinics be known, um, what Google's doing and everything like that. So, um, we've heard a lot of messages that just, you know, our billboards are saving babies and getting women and men the help that they need. Um, and my mom always likes to share this, um, 40% of our callers are men. Um, and I think that's just very telling that, um, they're there to support women, and they want to know what they can do to help save their baby, too. So it isn't always just women. It, um, it is men, too. So, um, yeah.
3: Well, if you've been around for 30 years, I imagine that your parents know people that they helped in the 90s who have grandchildren now that they would not have had if that phone <laughs> line hadn't been available.
14: Yeah, no, exactly. We get letters from people. That's so funny that you say that because we do get letters from people saying, um, I saw your billboard, and I didn't think it would affect me at the time. I didn't think anything of it until 10 years later, you know, my girlfriend or my wife, and we didn't think we could have number three, and we wanted an abortion, and I only thought of your, your billboard. Um, Or, you know, letters from women way back um, and saying, I'm still affected by my abortion. And I remember I love seeing your signs and I know that they're helping other women making those choices. Um, And, you know, when they do call in, we send them off to get post-abortion assistance. And that I think is um, also very healing. There's a lot of people out there who do need healing after After this sort of thing, and it's it's amazing to hear their stories. To just know that, you know, every time you pass a billboard, one of our billboards, I always pray that it's reaching someone. Whether it's after, whether it's before, whether it's down the line, we don't know when they will be when they'll need to hear that message. But it's the facts that they keep in their head. You know that a baby has a heartbeat at 18 days, and they remember that. So.
3: Well, very cool. Well, thank you for all your work to keep this ministry going uh, with your family, starting at 30 years ago. Angie Johnson, if our listeners want to be a part of your work with Pro-Life Across America, uh, perhaps they're involved with our local pregnancy center, and this is one more way to help direct people towards that. Uh, what's a good place for people to find you and uh, connect with your apostolate?
14: Yeah, um, they can go to our website. It's org, and we would love them to join us on Facebook as well, um please please pray for us because um donations have been really down since the whole Roe v Wade was overturned we celebrated we rejoiced with that but i think people have become very um you know just they think the fight's over and we know we know that that's not true um and so yeah please join us we're targeting a lot of our ads at certain states who are making um really um their they're making very interesting choices, and um, we're seeing a lot of people who understand that, and they want to um, put their donation towards certain states like South Dakota, and we're able to do that for them, and it's it's great to see that. But um, we definitely need prayers, so we would appreciate any prayers, donations, support that you can give us it would be awesome.
3: All right, well, thank you so much. You can find Pro-Life Across America linked in our show notes at com. Got headlines coming up next. It's 17 minutes past the hour. The new feature
11: film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show.
3: You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well.
1: That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com.
3: You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning.
1: And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes.
3: Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September
1: 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com.
0: Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day when I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And I need God to walk me through my day step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify him in everything that I do and become the person he wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline.
3: 19 past here's anna mitchell with headlines
1: president biden will be sending a team to detroit in an effort to resolve the strike between the united auto workers union and the big three automakers during his angelus address yesterday pope francis asked the faithful for prayers for his upcoming visit to Marseille, france and in his catechesis spoke of the importance of forgiveness
3: Anna Mitchell tonight at 8 Eastern on EWTN and most of these EWTN radio affiliates. Uh, the Journey Home, hosted by John Mark Grodi. Tonight's mm-hmm. guest, Sharon Ripley, who, uh, like many people, was raised Catholic but left the church in her teens and uh, found kind of a renewed interest in faith and a kind of an invigorated interest in faith through an AME community, African Methodist Episcopal, um, even got ordained into ministry there and kept on feeling that call back to the sacraments so it's uh it's always kind of fun when you have someone who was catholic and then they left and then they get ordained in another denomination but then they come back because often we hear people who are the right whole lives raised a denomination. like protestant yeah I mean. right so she's she's got a boomerang story wow catch it tonight cool. sharon ripley boomerang. on the journey home school time and back to a busier morning routine If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee
1: and when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase
3: while you're at our site pick up a sunrise morning show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student all available in our online store
1: find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at s o n r i s e m o r n i n g s h o w . c o m this past year has been a crazy
11: roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah at sacredheartradio.com.
5: The Universal Prayer by Pope Clement XI. Lord, I believe in you but let me believe more strongly. I hope in you, but let me hope more confidently. I love you, but let me love you more ardently. I adore you as my first beginning. I long for you as my last end. I praise you as my constant benefactor. I call upon you as my loving protector. Guide me by your wisdom, hold me by your justice. Comfort me with your mercy, protect me with your power. I offer you, Lord, my thoughts, that they may be fixed on you. My words, that they may be about you. My actions, that they may be regulated by you. My sufferings, that they may be endured for you. Enlighten my mind, inflame my will, purify my heart, sanctify my soul. Grant that I may prepare for death, be concerned about judgment, flee from hell, and obtain paradise through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
1: It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Brendan Hodge back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It, which is a novel from Ignatius Press and is a contributing editor to The Pillar as well. Good morning, Brendan.
13: Good morning. Good to be on with you.
1: It is good to have you back. And we are continuing to look at Dorothy L. Sayers' ideas about classical education. So last time we looked specifically at history and why that is foundational to the formation of a student. Today, we're going to take a look at the subjects of geography, science, and math. Now, first off, just give us an overview of how she looks at these subjects and the way that they help form the foundation for students to learn in the future.
13: So when she's talking about the foundation, the grammatical stage for students, so these are students who are in maybe like the second through the fifth grade kind of ages. She's really talking about this age when children have this sponge-like eagerness to soak up uh, facts and the way that things fit together. And so with geography, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to picture. This is an age when children can often be really interested in maps, and so this is a great time to be learning where different countries are, so countries, capitals, and then also major features so like oceans, mountain ranges, and the way that the physical geography shapes uh, the way that countries fit together and the history of those countries that they read about because they're, they're connections between the geography of our world and history. In science, this is a time when kids often love things like dinosaurs and planets, and so it's a great time for learning species and the way that you What does it mean to say that uh, two different types of animals are different will a cat and a dog ever have sort of kitten puppies together and why not uh so it's a great time for learning kind of those basic physical rules and the constellations uh the planets all those things that fit together and then in mathematics it, it might seem like a much different more abstract thing but again here we learn the basic geometrical shapes we learn the basic rules for how numbers work together and then you start to learn the system for how we get from uh, basic rules about how a shape works to uh, the way that you you do geometrical operations or the basic ways that the number line or number families work into mathematical operations. And you start to see how those pieces fit together just like the, the pieces in a Lego set, and you can make complex structures out of them.
1: Yeah, okay. So I want to take the conversation to a higher level now that we have that that groundwork laid. Um, because some people listening might wonder why these topics would be discussed on a Catholic radio show like this. You know, this has no bearing on my faith. But actually, Brendan, I think there's something to be said about a child understanding Order. Could you talk about that in light of these subjects?
0: Well, I, I
13: think that as Christians, we believe that God created the world and He holds the world in existence through His act of the will. So, in a sense, the world is an expression of God's order, and so we learn about God as we learn about the world. But I think there's there's an even deeper point to why we need to start thinking about a specifically Christian and Catholic way of learning things like math and science in our current culture, because for a long time it seemed like you could have a Catholic school where you just used exactly the same lessons on science that the public schools did, and what you did that was different is you said, but of course we know that God created the world, and then you would transition into religion class. And things could be sort of this that way. But today, what we're seeing is that the, the radical relativism that maybe 20 years ago people were just talking about in terms of morality has crept into the way that people think about science. And so we have people who don't even believe that male and female are basic things, and they're not just confused about this in a moral sense. They're confused about it in a scientific sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think we increasingly need to do what, what secular schools may not be doing or where, where they may actually be undermining education, Uh, in teaching people how to really think about how the physical world works, what things are similar, what things are different, and what things are and are not compatible. And uh, we may be the only ones who are still holding on to this sense of reality, and so we really need to learn to teach it to our children, or we'll lose them before we even know what's going on.
1: Right. You know, I remember having this conversation with a teacher at my kid's school who was saying, you know, out in the real world, so to speak, you know, talking about i mean all of the stuff that you were just mentioning there. And I said, no, actually, I know you think about our world as like this little Catholic bubble, but we are the ones who are actually living in the real world. We are the ones that are actually living in reality and accepting reality for what it is. I mean, I can't believe that this even needs to be said, Brendan, but can you comment on this, that these sort of foundational things really undermine the prevailing cultural idea that that there is no truth?
13: It, it really does. And I mean, I think you see this starting to even break out in secular spaces. So what you start to see is actual biologists, people who are working in science, having arguments over things like, Um, can you determine that a, a person or even an animal is male or female based on its ability to reproduce as a male or female, or do you have to address this whole constellation of secondary sexual characteristics that people use to define gender in this very fluid ways so that they can then talk about picking gender and being the right gender and whether you feel like you're your gender and as we see this coming into science it's really breaking down the ability of people to even have rational conversations on these topics so uh, having a new way to learn about this which is rooted in truth is very very important
1: a new way <laughs> it's really the way, old way
13: the ancient world <laughs>
1: And yet so new, ever ancient, ever new. That's always how we look at things here on the Sunrise Morning Show, that is for sure. You can find the Darwin Catholic blog linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Brendan Hodge. Brendan, thank you so much. Thank you. You can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The United Auto Workers strike against the Big 3 US automakers has reached a fourth day now. Reports say the union met with Ford and GM over the weekend and a meeting with Stellantis is scheduled for today. UAW president Sean Fain told MSNBC yesterday that progress has been slow. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri and they're demanding better pay and pension benefits. Meanwhile, Lord Ford has laid off 600 employees at its assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan, as the UAW strike continues. Michael Kastner has more.
10: The automaker announced the layoffs on Friday. Meanwhile, General Motors will idle its Fairfax assembly plant in Kansas, putting 2,000 people out of work. The strike at the Wenzel, Missouri, assembly plant is being blamed for the move. UAW President Sean Fain says the automakers laying off people who are not on strike is putting the squeeze on the union to settle for less. I'm Michael Kastner.
1: House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says good progress is being made in talks to avoid a government shutdown. Speaking on Fox News Sunday, McCarthy said that Republicans wanted to change Washington when they took the majority and that he's never seen anyone win a shutdown. McCarthy faces challenges in passing a stopgap funding bill as it appears he lacks the votes to keep the government open beyond September 30th. Pope Francis has asked for prayers for his upcoming trip to Marseille, France. The Holy Father will travel there at the end of the week to help close out the Mediterranean meetings with bishops and young people in the region. He's called it an opportunity to promote fraternity. In his Angelus Address catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father reflected on the Sunday Gospel and stressed the importance of forgiveness. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports.
4: The Pope explained that the number seven in the Bible is a number that indicates completeness. And therefore, Peter, he said, was very generous in the assumptions of his question. But Jesus, Pope Francis observes, goes further and answers him, I do not say to you up to seven, but up to 77. Jesus tells him, the Pope recalled, that when you forgive, do not calculate. Cuando si perdona, non si calcula. It is good to forgive everything and always, he said. God, Pope Francis continued, has done this with us. Likewise, he noted, those who administer God's forgiveness are called to do the same, namely to forgive always. Jesus' message, the Pope continued, is clear. God forgives incalculably, exceeding all measure. God acts out of love and gratuitousness, the Pope said, observing we cannot repay him. Forgiveness is therefore not a good deed that one can do or not do. The Pope said that this constitutes a fundamental condition for those who are Christians, noting God has given his life for us, and in no way can we compensate for his mercy. However, by corresponding to his gratuitousness, that is, By forgiving one another, the hope said, we can bear witness to him, sowing new life around us. For outside of forgiveness, he said, there is no hope. Outside of forgiveness, he said, there is no peace. Forgiveness, the Holy Father argued, is the oxygen that purifies the air polluted by hatred. It is the antidote that heals the poisons of resentment. And it is the way to diffuse anger and heal so many diseases of the heart that contaminate society. Let us try now, each one of us, he said, to think of a person who has hurt us. And let us ask the Lord for the strength to forgive them. And let us forgive them out of love for the Lord. The Pope said, it will
1: do us good. It will restore peace in our hearts. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The United Nations says the death toll from flooding in northeastern Libya is now up to at least 11,300. And another 10,000 people are still missing just in the devastated city of Derna. Rescuers are clawing through debris in the city on the Mediterranean coast, trying to find survivors in buildings torn apart by last week's unprecedented flooding. Historic rainfall last Sunday and Monday caused two dams to break, unleashing millions of cubic meters of flood water through the city. Illinois is officially the first state in the nation to abolish cash bail. Beginning today, cash bail will be eliminated for the majority of criminal defendants awaiting trial. The change is part of the landmark Safety Act. The Illinois Supreme Court upheld the law in July after dozens of states' attorneys generals challenged it. It's 35 past
3: you start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show, soon you'll be able to watch as well.
1: That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com.
3: You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family, plus you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning.
1: And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes.
3: Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September
1: 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com.
3: The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from.
1: And when you link to the Mystic Monk coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy.
3: You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid. our
1: online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com.
5: The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is sacramental grace? Sacramental grace is a special help which God gives to attain the end for which he instituted each sacrament. Just as the sacraments are aimed toward a particular end, baptism is to bring us into the family of God, And so the grace of baptism then does the very thing that it's intended to do. Marriage is in order to help the man and the woman come to heaven together. And so there's a grace of marriage specific to it, that it's different from the grace of the Eucharist or the grace of holy orders. And similarly, there's a grace of holy orders that is not the same as the grace of marriage. God gives grace in so many manifold ways we can thank him for bringing us to himself through these varied ways in the sacraments. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
3: The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. You can find his Way of the Fathers podcast at catholicculture.org. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. You know, we've been talking lately about various cities that were extremely important in the early church, and today we get to talk to uh, talk about Antioch, and actually Antioch is an important city in the New Testament. Before we get to that, uh, what kind of city was Antioch before Christianity arrived there?
15: It was a very important city it was a military center commercial center it was uh it was a religious center it was an important center of judaism Uh, it had been established as a city on the orontes river by by the general seleucus who was one of the the great generals under under alexander the great uh, when he was conquering the world and so uh, this is this is uh, the seat of of the little empire that seleucus ended up with it it was uh, it was important for every reason. It was a, a cultural center and it was a military center, economic center, as I said, and um, and and uh, and there were many Jews there. Uh, the 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 people of Judea, the Jews of Judea, um, were uh, were helpful to Seleucus in establishing the city, and so he gave them a favored status in the city. So the Jewish culture there was um, was was very well established by the time of our Lord. Uh, and, um, and it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was thriving. There were several synagogues by that time, and some of them were beautiful. Some of them were, were, uh, architectural marvels, it said. And, um, and, uh, King Herod, of course, uh, built a good portion of the, uh, of the city and he, uh, he established something there. Uh, it, it was a boulevard. Uh, with with uh, that was a, that was a shopping mall really an outdoor shopping mall and it and it was uh, it was a very long street and it was lined with street lamps, and this was the first time in antiquity that these uh, were were put into use street lamps and so it really did transform the city and it, and um and it transformed the empire because soon any serious city needed to have one of these boulevards lined with street lamps and suddenly there was nightlife in the cities so one of the great inventions of antioch was nightlife you could go out at night be be uh, relatively safe and uh, and you could even do some shopping
3: it's pretty interesting and uh of course even the chicago cubs have night lights at this point so uh, <laughs> yes yes <laughs> but let's talk a little bit i mean anybody who pays attention to the first readings from Mass during the Easter season already knows the answer to this question, but how early does Christianity get to Antioch?
15: Well, right away, really. And and that's a natural thing. There would have been a lot of trade between Antioch and Jerusalem. This this is something that would have happened naturally because of the um, because of the, the short distance between the two and also because of the uh the cultural affinity. You know, again there was a large Jewish community there uh and and so this would have this would have been a regular thing to 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 have traffic moving in that direction and then back to Jerusalem uh we find in the acts of the apostles that uh that when when uh you know the boot comes down when the persecution begins uh, some of some of the the people following the way of Jesus fled to antioch right and they uh they they brought the faith there and they 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 spread the faith there uh, so much so that that the people of Antioch needed a name for this group who uh, who were growing out of the synagogue but were quite distinctive from, uh, from the other Jews in the city. And so it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christian. Uh, this isn't too long after the ascension of our Lord, and it was Antioch, the city, that bestowed that name that we still bear today after all these millennia.
3: Yeah, it is a powerful thing. You know, you almost get chills when you hear it. Uh, read from the book of Acts, the the followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. You know, it's like, ah, wow. It's like an origin mm-hmm. story. Yeah. It's like the first time you hear Tony Stark referred to as Iron Man or something. It's like this really kind of stirring thing. It's like, wow. Uh, you know, this is us. This is our origin story, as it were. Yes. Um, but when it comes to Antioch, I, I mean, we've got some great saints. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch immediately comes to mind, and we've talked oh, about him yeah. a number of times before. But... Antioch is one of those places, as early as Christianity got there, it sure did change hands between a lot of empires and became a battleground for a lot of things in history from that point forward, didn't it?
15: Yeah, Antioch was a hotbed for Christian thought, because it was a hotbed for thought, you know, and uh, and this is this is what happened naturally. Uh, the, the, there was a certain vigor to Christianity from the beginning, so you find great Great intellectual figures like Ignatius of Antioch, who's a, who's just a wonderful writer. We possess seven of his letters that give us, you know, a kind of a window into what life looked like in the city of Antioch and in all the cities of the empire around the year 107 A.D. Uh, and after him, we have Theophilus. So we have a, an apologist in all of the stages of Christian development. We have major Antiochian writers. Uh, eventually. Uh, there are heresies that arise in Antioch, and because of the position of Antioch on the world scene, they become influential heresies, unfortunately. Uh, but, but some of them had their, their really epicenter, they had their epicenter there. Um, so you have, uh, you, you have teachers in Antioch in the third century uh, coming up with this idea that Jesus was just a creature. That he was uh, subordinate to the Father in every way; uh, that he was not co-equal or co-eternal with the Father, and so, so these ideas eventually reach uh, a student named uh, Arius, who who came possibly from Libya to Antioch to do his studies, and it, Arius brought those ideas. Back to Alexandria, where the Arian heresy took hold and eventually spread throughout the empire. But the ideas began in Antioch. It was Arius who found ways to make them catchy and to bring them to the whole empire. Uh, uh, you know, there's great. Fi- there are so many great figures uh, who, um, who who were there in Antioch, you know, and John Chrysostom comes immediately to mind, perhaps the, the greatest preacher of all time, of all Christian history, and he first thundered from those pulpits in Antioch. And then the great anti Christian, Julian the apostate, who left behind Christianity to to uh to try to repaganize the empire when he became emperor. He made Antioch the base of his operations, but because of the vigor of the local uh church he was unable to do it. You know they openly mocked him when he spoke. So Antioch has this storied history. You know when you think about the fathers of the church, so many great events, so many, so many mighty figures, and uh, and so much drama.
3: Well, thank you so much, Mike Aquilina from Fathers of the Church dot name linked at Sunrise Morning Show. Calm. Got headlines coming up next.
7: It's sixteen till. <laughs> It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org.
8: Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small.
3: It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee.
1: And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online
1: store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com.
4: If you're currently an EWTN Media Missionary or just interested in becoming one, we've got some great news. EWTN Media Missionaries has a new and improved website. EWTNMissionaries.com, designed with you in mind. Our new site is loaded with great features and it's easy to navigate. There are so many different ways that you can help EWTN. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNMissionaries.com
14: today
3: spiritual, but do I have to be religious? Join me, Dr. David Andrews, as we answer your questions on Call to Communion today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till here's Anna with headlines.
1: The United Auto Workers strike against the big three automakers has reached a fourth day now. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked for prayers for his upcoming trip to Marseille, France, which will take place at the end of this week, and in his catechesis reflected on the Sunday Gospel, stressing the importance of forgiveness, saying it can restore peace to our hearts.
3: It sure can. If only I would, uh, Take That to heart and actually live that it might actually make a difference. In my
1: life. I know, right? Imagine that. So,
3: Anna Mitchell, I mentioned before uh, tonight at 8 Eastern on The Journey Home, which you see on EWTN television. You can stream it for free if you don't have cable. If you're like me, I don't have cable.
1: Yeah, me either. I go
3: to EWTN.com, you can stream it for free. Uh, but you can also listen on a great many of these EWTN radio affiliate stations, 8 p.m. Eastern this evening. The Journey Home. Sharon Ripley, our guest uh, tonight. She was a former African Methodist Episcopal minister, some of you familiar with the AME Church. Uh, She said something that stuck with me, and I just wanted to share it with you, Anna Mitchell, Okay. before I forget. So uh, she talked about how uh, people in your town may have driven past your church, but don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And some of those people will be driving past your church when you are walking out of Mass. Right. So the question is, what will the expression they see on your face as you walk out tell them about what you experienced in there?
1: Probably that my children <laughs> were It's
3: meant to be rhetorical, by the way. <laughs> that
1: she's, exhausted, that she's from exhausted from keeping her children in the pew.
3: But does it say do people say, Man, I wish I had, I wish I had what those people have who are coming out of there?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, I a good so. thing. it's
3: a good thing to, to reflect upon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Got I hope that people reflect upon the fact that, you know, young families are coming out of the church.
3: They're like, oh, that's where the party's at. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. Or they'll see, they'll see you coming out, Anna Mitchell, and they'll think, you know, I was worried about going to church because I feel like my kids will be a distraction. And then they drive past and they're like, oh, wait, if they let that lady go there, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're fine. Yeah. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann. She's the author of Supremacy and Survival, How Catholics Endured the English Reformation. You can find her blog of the same name linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stephanie, good morning.
16: Good morning, Matt.
3: So today we get to talk about Blessed John Duckett and uh, Blessed Ralph Corby. Now, uh, there are probably some people who aren't very familiar with, With these names, you know, once we get into the blesseds on the list of the martyrs of England and Wales, they get a little bit, uh, you know, into that fuzzy area. But what do we know about them and what what mementos do we have from them?
16: Right. Well, Father Bowden gives us four mementos uh, on Father uh, Duckett. And then three of those mementos also include Father Ralph Corby, uh, who is a Jesuit priest. Uh, The the blesseds, of course, were were these gentlemen were beatified by. Pope Pius XI, the, uh, but there were lots of blessings beatified by Pope John Paul II in, I think it was 1985, in the 1980s. But anyway, so these men are actually, now we're in, usually we're in the Tudor era when we talk about martyrs, especially the 40 martyrs. But this is in the English Civil War era when uh, Cromwell's Parliament, Parliamentary Puritans were fighting King Charles I, uh uh, Anglican and, and some Catholic, uh, Cavaliers. So these uh, men were still working in the missionary field, still serving Catholics, but in a vastly different, uh, time of, of English history because the, the, the country was at war at civil war. And so the first, the first, uh, priest had been there for about 12 years. Father Ralph Corby, he was a Jesuit priest. And the uh, other priest, Father uh, John Duckett had only been there for a year. And Father John is the one that, that uh, in a way, Father Bowden pays the most attention to because he gives him all, he's in all four of the mementos uh, about their, their uh, journey to martyrdom. He's only been there a year. He is captured when he's with two gentlemen on the way to baptize a couple of children. I don't know if they were infants or at least they were Catholic children to be baptized. And what, I think one of the signs that were not in the Tudor era was he was tortured to reveal his priesthood. They they found oils and certain things in his uh, packet to, to identify that maybe he was a priest. They used matches lit between his fingers to try to get him to tell who, that he was a priest. And he, he did not. He, he under that torture. But the reason that he finally admitted that he was a priest and therefore subject to death under English law was that they started threatening the two laymen. That were with him and they were going to send them off to prison or and to to uh, who knows what kind of uh, treatment they would receive at that time and so he confessed yes i am a priest let those men go and so father bound it uses the line from uh, the agony in the garden uh, garden of gethsemane when jesus says if therefore seek ye me let these go on their way so he admitted that he was a catholic priest To save others. So that's one of the most poignant of the uh, examples that Father Bowden gives about Father Corby. And then when he talks about, I mean, excuse me, Father Duckett, then when he talks about Ralph Corby, his, his history was very interesting because his family was Catholic. They went to Ireland. They left England to go to Ireland so they could practice their faith more freely. And then he became a, a Jesuit priest and returned. And the whole family, in fact, became religious. His mother and father each went off to religious orders. Uh, he uh, uh, to, he went to the father went to the religious to the Society of Jesus, and all three sons went to the Society of Jesus. So Father Corby had been in in England for quite some years and been serving. And the next story that he gives about. The, the father Bowden tells about these two men is that they ended up in prison together and they had a chance. There was one chance for one of them to, to be uh, involved in a prisoner exchange. And they both refused on the grounds that father Corby said, well, uh, you're young. Father Ducket. you stay and uh, you get released and I'll, I'll stay in prison. And Father uh, Duckett said, no, no, that can't be because you, you have such such more uh, experience and you've been serving the people so long. So, no, you should be free. And so they both stay in prison. So uh, you wonder, behold, what manner of charity the father has bestowed upon us is the phrase. But you wonder what the Puritan authorities thought. You know, you have a chance to get out and you're, you're both dropping it and, and staying in prison and facing certain death. Well, so and those are two of the death, best mementos.
3: Yeah, that, that certain death did come at uh, Tyburn Tree, yes. and we've got uh, an account of that as well, right?
16: Yes, and that was very beautiful too. They they prepared, they prepared for their executions by making sure that their tonsures were clean and so they they are and they're, they're in their uh, priest' cassocks and in the, and habits. And so they go to the to, to Tyburn tree, they make no speech except that Father Duckett says that uh, he had come hither not to be taught his religion, but to die for it. And then Father Corby and Duckett turned to each other, embraced each other. And therefore the phrase, the the scripture that uh, Father Valdon uses is salute one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So these, these three mementos, I think were just so beautiful about the, the, camaraderie that the, the two priests shared in the midst of all that danger and suffering and the care they, that especially in the case of, of Father Duckett, the blessed Father Duckett, the care he took for the families and for the men who'd been captured with him. He was also concerned about those who were in the area, especially just think they could say, follow the uh, torture those men to find out where the families were that were waiting for the baptism of their babies. So he Sacrificed himself for the sake of those laity and those families, so that they would stay safe in this dangerous period of English history for Catholics and for everyone, really, in the midst of a civil war.
3: It's a powerful story, and uh, you know, kind of made all the more powerful in some ways because neither one of them was willing to <laughs> to give up the mission, uh, as it, as right. it were. Um, I mean, they they both had a had an out, and neither one of them took it, and they ended up yeah. um, being martyred together and we have that account yes that, that record so uh i mean two more great intercessors to invoke blessed john Ducket, yes. blessed ralph yeah.
16: corby pray for
3: us pray for us
11: pray
16: for uh, us Amen. and of course you
3: can read more at supremacy and survival which is stephanie's blog and it's linked at sunrise dot com. stephanie thank you as always for finding these stories of thank incredible you. uh heroic martyrs that uh, a lot of us have never heard of before
16: yes they're they're beautiful stories thank you
3: They are indeed. We're back again tomorrow for our EWT and listening family. In the meantime, I'm Matt Swain for Anna Mitchell and all of our guests. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.